Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. My guest today is going to share with us what exactly is going on biochemically and emotionally when stress hits us and how to help ourselves improve our skill sets to handle stress differently. Dr. Elizabeth Lombardo is the authority on how to crush your inner critic so that you can live a life of purpose, fulfillment, and true success. Dr. E is a licensed practicing psychologist with a PhD. She's America's most trusted celebrity psychologist with over 100 national media interviews, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, Dr. Oz, Forbes, and countless others. She's also Shaquille O'Neal's head coach for happiness. Dr. E is on a mission to help us recognize our real self-worth, manage our stress, and kick ass in life. Little medical disclaimer before we have Dr. E on board. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, relax, open your mind, and let's take a deep dive into managing our stress. Hi, Dr. E. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. I, I heard you speak a few, oh gosh, it must have been five years ago at this point, definitely pre-COVID, um, in my women's networking group here in Chicago, and you spoke about the inner critic and stress, and so it's definitely something we've all been experiencing during COVID and post-COVID. Yes, indeed. And in fact, the research shows, unfortunately, that after a trauma like the pandemic, that some of the stress will not come out until two to four years later. So oh, we have the opportunity to really be addressing it now so that it doesn't keep getting worse. Yeah, that's really interesting because I often talk about hair loss in a lot of my podcasts and how if it's stress related, it's a delayed reaction. And sometimes you have a hard time connecting the dots thinking, yes. well, what the heck happened six to 12 months ago? So everything seems delayed, but let's, um, let's dive in because we're definitely going to talk about all of these things in the podcast. So which came first, your inner critic or your stress? Uh, well, like which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? I mean, exactly. you, can, you can have both. So I will say when we're younger, we don't really have an inner critic, right? We're in a state where we're more, um, we're almost in a hypnotic state when we're really young. And so we're really working on our, our subconscious and we're just kind of ex experiencing things. As we get older, and by that, I mean, we're still children, we start to, our conscious mind starts to process things and we start to try to make sense out of what is happening. And if you think about a, a child, teenagers, it happens again too. They tend to be very egocentric. And I don't mean that in a way like they only care about themselves, but the world revolves around them, right? So when mom yells about something, <laughs> hypothetically, of course, then the child may interpret it as, 
I'm bad. Um, and so I would say that the stress came first and then the inner critic is trying to make sense out of events that aren't so pleasant for us. Yeah, that's really interesting because the body wants to keep in a state of homeostasis. So we have all of these biochemical reactions going on to keep us there. Um, so it's really interesting how that works. And we're going to talk about that as well later. But I want to talk about what's actually happening on a biochemical level of what mm -hmm what's happening in our bodies when stress occurs. Yeah. So something in my health coach practice that I like to do is insert a lot of science because I want my clients to understand, well, what's going on when you have insulin resistance or what's going on when there's cognitive decline? Because if they can paint that visual picture in their mind, kind of takes the pressure off them feeling like a failure, like they've done something wrong when the body is just trying to regulate things. Yes, the body is trying to regulate things. And we will um, you know, talk about how our minds and our bodies are one, right? They're so interconnected. So what we're saying to ourselves, our inner critic can be causing a source of stress that isn't even present necessarily. And so our body thinks, oh, I'm in a state of stress. I have to react as if I'm in a state of stress, even though there's nothing out there like the side with tooth tiger that's actually trying to attack us. Is that kind of like when um, we create stories in our head? You know how a lot of people just, they have a story and we travel with the story and it takes a lot of work to change the story. We all create stories. And in fact, scientists estimate we have about 60,000 thoughts every day. The majority of our thoughts, what we're saying to ourselves are not facts. They are assumptions, their interpretations, their perceptions, their beliefs. They're not actual facts. And so we all have stories about, about certain things, why things happen, how people view us, what kind of people we are, we know what makes us worthy. We all have these stories in our minds and we aren't even aware that they aren't facts. They are stories, perceptions, beliefs, assumptions. And so the key, and this is what I really help my clients with, is to take it out of our brains, these 60,000 thoughts, right? Take them out and say, how accurate and helpful is this thought? Is this belief? And if it's helpful, great, right? And if it's not, let's change it so that it's accurate and helpful. Accurate and helpful. I always say, I'm not trying to implant thoughts like, I'm the best thing in the world and you know I have no problems like that's not realistic right so that's not accurate but but figuring out and making sure our thoughts are accurate and helpful is truly it's just life changing in terms of whether we're talking about our our physical health our emotional well-being our mental ability to focus our relationships everything work everything so there's these two systems going on in our body. We've got the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, part of the uh, autonomic nervous system. Yep. How, and, the, and then we have also have the HPA axis. How is all of that connected? What, what is going on that's causing us to have that fear of this saber-toothed tiger chasing us? Because I want to I wanna explain what that is just on a, on a basic level. Yep. So that when we dive into why stress causes us to store fat and other things to happen, we can sort of piece that together. Yeah, yeah. So our, um, our autonomic nervous system is, is just the automatic, right? It's part of the peripheral nervous system as opposed to the somatic, which is allows me to move my body, right? <laughs> my kids would be like, don't do that, mom. Um, so, so we have this autonomic and then the autonomic, as you said, is parasympathetic, which tends to be the relaxing part of it. And then the, um, the um, 
sympathetic, which is the arousal. And when I say arousal, that's a psychological term and has other implications in, right. in our society, but, but basically the stress. And so our autonomic nervous system can either bring us down and have us be in a, in a more relaxed state, or it can elevate our level of stress. And when it elevates our level of stress, um, that's when we release different biochemicals. So the um, the um, HPA axis is the you know the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenal that. When we experience stress, there's a whole cascade of events that happen. But basically what happens is we go into a stress state. And so certain biochemical changes happen in our body. And these biochemical changes were super helpful in cave times, right? So in, in if you think of our cave ancestors, if they experienced a stress, what might that be? Let's say they heard a rustling in the bush, <laughs> right? They hear rustling in the bush and they thought, ah, it's probably nothing. They may not live another day. Instead, they go into a stress response. I have to address this. And immediately things happen within our bodies to prepare us for that, right? So for example, um, blood goes away from our gut because this is not the time to digest food. And it goes into our extremities, like our legs and our hearts so we can run or we can fight or flight. And once that source of stress was gone, you talked about homeostasis, the body would then go back to its homeostasis, the, the place where it's, it's, it wants to be. The issue is our sources of stress have changed. Yes. So it's no longer an animal that's either there or not. It's things like a pandemic, right? Relationships, financial issues, work-related issues, what's going on in the world. And so these sources of stress are more chronic. And so our bodies have really not adapted very well to chronic stress. And so it stays in this place of extra cortisol and all these other things that happen, um, which can then interfere again with every facet of our lives. Right. And one of those facets of our lives is weight gain. So think about all the people during COVID. Like I would say the average weight gain, I, I think I read it somewhere that it's 30 pounds. I can tell you that a lot of my clients, my newer clients who have come out of the um, pandemic have gained anywhere from you know 20 to 40 pounds and a complete you know, pivot in their lifestyle and has really has such daily implication, negative implications on them. So how does all of this chronic stress, this high cortisol, how does that um, correlate with weight gain? So I like to think of there, there, there are different facets of why when we're stressed out, we tend to gain weight, right? One is behavioral. Like how many people reach for a fresh garden salad when they are stressed out, right? No, it's comfort food, um, which can include alcohol, which, you know, booze, of course, oh, yeah. you know, is, yeah, drinking sugar. So, um, so some of it is behavioral. Some of it is um, biological in terms of, uh, I'm going to start with not the cortisol, but the sleep. So when we're stressed out, what happens? We're less likely to sleep. Lack of sleep, sleep deprivation leads to weight gain and increased appetite another component of this. And then the third one is what you're talking about in terms of the cortisol, right? And, and the stress hormones that are going through our body. So again, think about when you're running away from, you know, that, that saber-toothed tiger. And by the way, I don't know why we always talk about saber-toothed tigers. I don't know that humans ever actually involved were saber-toothed tigers. But anyway, when we run away from that tiger or whatever it is that's chasing us, that cortisol helps motivate our bodies, right? Stimulate mm -hmm. our bodies to get out of there. 
Again, um, we don't need to digest food then, so we're not processing food, but it does uh, lay fat cells in our belly. And so, you know, again, biologically, there's a lot that's going on too. So, I mean, that's why, and I know you know this, uh, you know, stress management has, it is absolutely vital to be a key component when it comes to changing your lifestyle in terms of healthy living, whether you're trying to, you know, lose weight or just have a healthier body, we have to address our stress in effective ways in order for our bodies to be healthier. I absolutely agree. And part of that equation is getting the foundations of a healthy lifestyle, including the stress management together, meaning your optimal nutrition, your optimal exercise, your optimal sleep. And that equation is different for everybody, but we're all, we're going to be thrown curveballs in life and we're not going to know they're coming, but when they come, if we have that foundation, I promise you, it's going to be a lot easier to get through them. I'll, I'll give an example, <laughs> raising my hand. It's only two of us. I'll give an example for my own life. And I don't, uh, I don't know that if, if you know this, maybe do it, but my husband has ALS. Yeah. So he's for five years, he's been trached, which means it's a hole in his neck. He's on a ventilator feeding tube, completely paralyzed. Now he can't speak. Um, he's requires 24 seven care. You want to talk about stress? He was in the hospital for 90 days in the ICU. And now he's been home for five years requiring 24 seven care. Um, luckily I knew before my, what I need and I need sleep because I am not a good person not to get sleep. I need exercise and I need meditation. And would I benefit from having other things? Absolutely. But those three things are absolutely foundational for me. So even when he was in the hospital and I was, it took me about two hours to get to the hospital every day, each way, um, I still exercised, meditated and got my sleep. You know, even now as there's, it, we basically, we live in an ICU, basically, you know, he's got all the beeps. And even yeah. now I exercise, I meditate, I get my sleep. Am I perfect all the time? Heck no. Is my meditation sometimes five minutes? Absolutely. And I still work towards what I know I need. And like you said, and I love that, it, each person is different. Each person is different in terms of what's going to work for stress management. Each person's different in terms of, for example, what kinds of exercises are better for them, how much sleep they need, all of that. Yeah. And how about the fact that you are able to do those things because you know you need them and you, you, you're caring for your children and your husband, but you also have put yourself at the top of the pyramid. It's like the, um, the analogy on the airplane. If there's trouble on the airplane and the airbags come out, you have to put yours on first. And that is such a hard thing for so many people to do. They feel they have all these responsibilities around them. And so they'll just deal with themselves later. And later could mean, you know, really negative things down the road for that person. So absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I do it for me. I also do it because I'm a mom and I have two daughters and I want them to know that they have got to prioritize their health because it is easy to say, I'll put it on the back burner, but that's not who I want them to be right? When they now, and when they grow up. And so I need to model the behavior that I want them to have. And sometimes I will say sometimes remembering that they're watching can be helpful in, in, you know, engaging in activities that I know are healthy for me. Um, sometimes knowing that they're watching that this can impact them too, can, can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So you've recently written a book, um, being in the red zone. No, 
Get out of the red zone. We're already in the red zone. Yes. We gotta get out, <laughs> get of, the red out zone. of the red zone. Transform your stress and optimize true success. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about that and what we can do to even recognize when we're in that stressful moment and pivot away from it and towards something that's going to be better for us. Because I can tell you as a perimenopausal woman, and even when I was raising my five kids and having my regular cycle, it's like you want to be able to remind yourself when that time is coming because you know you're going to just be this other person, but you get in it and you don't even know you're in it until you're out of it. And by then you've had this blow up argument with your husband or your boyfriend or your, whatever your partner. And so how do you even recognize it? <laughs> or the cashier at the grocery store or our children. Yeah, for sure. So let's start with what the psychological red zone is. Um, not the football red zone. So football red zone you want to get into red psychological red zone we want to get out of and the psychological red zone is when we experience high levels of of stress or what in psychology we call distress distress is the negative component of stress because there's actually positive stress right you stress that's the excitement of i don't know maybe you know going on vacation or getting married or for some people getting divorced right so so that anticipation of something exciting that's right. positive stress but distress is any emotion you don't want so it could be anger, frustration, irritability, guilt, shame, worry, anxiety, helplessness, hopelessness, worthlessness, all goes in the distress pile. And distress exists on a continuum. From zero, no distress at all. Just got off the massage table, life is great. To 10 out of 10, the most distressed we've ever been. And the red zone, the psychological red zone happens when we're at a seven out of 10 or higher. So a seven and eight and nine or 10, that's when we're in the red zone. And in the red zone, we don't always think rationally. And in the red zone, we don't always act rationally. So I'll give a and quick- That goes back to the HPA access. That's exactly it. That's right. So we'll give a quick pop quiz to see if anyone's ever been in the red zone. <laughs> Have you ever done or said something that you later regretted? I'm raising my hand. <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Don't tell me. Um, have you ever procrastinated or avoided an important project? Raise yeah. again. Have you ever been so overwhelmed that you couldn't focus or maybe you couldn't sleep? Yeah. Okay. If so, you were in the red zone. That's what happens when the red zone, when we're in the red zone, we tend to focus on what is wrong and we, and we get preoccupied with it. And, and if you think about, you know, going back to our brain, give a little more bio, uh, biology here in the green zone, that, that zero, one, two, three, and we're in green today to be in the green zone. Um, you're using more of your frontal lobe, right? That beautiful structure that differentiates you from other animals. It allows you to engage in perspective taking problem solving, executive functioning. When we're in the green zone, this is where confidence happens. I'm not perfect, but I, I like myself, right? When we're in the green zone, that's where resilience takes place. Times are tough and I can handle it, right? When we're in the green zone, this is where we're like, you know what, I, I'd like to lose some weight, I can do it. As we go up on this scale though, our focus narrows. So that when we get into the red zone, the seven, the eight, the nine, or the 10, we're focusing almost exclusively on the negatives, what's wrong. And we tend to be stuck in that problem. And again, evolutionarily, this made sense. If you heard that, if you heard that rustling and thought, it, ah, it's nothing, you may not live another day. Instead, our brains and our bodies go right into the red zone that the, all the, you know, epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, all of that's happening. And so we're focused on the problem and we can't see a solution. Mm. 
so that's yeah and so yeah so we tend to think in more emotion it's, it's your limbic system hijacking so if you <laughs> i give the analogy if you ever have known someone who had too much to drink and they said or did something that the next morning they woke up and they're like that was not really a smart idea that's basically what happens when we're in the red zone. But instead of alcohol, it's because our limbic system has kind of hijacked our rational thinking. And so we really, we don't think rationally, we don't act rationally. So again, that notion of, I want to, I want to, you know, someone says, I want to want to lose weight in the green zone. They're like, okay, I can take the steps. It may not be easy. I know I can handle it in the red zone. They may say to themselves, Ugh, there's no way I can do this. Or <laughs> I had one cookie and ruined my diet. I might as well eat the rest of the plate, right? That's the thinking that happens in the red zone. And uh -huh. so it really prevents us from taking the steps that we need to be healthier, to improve our relationships. Even at work, I mean, in the red zone, you're talking about mentally what goes on. Our, you know, it's, it's tough to, to focus. It's tough to concentrate. There's a region, region in your brain called the hippocampus, which is in charge of certain memories. And brain scans show that when people are in the red zone for a prolonged period of time, the hippocampus literally shrinks in size. So how many of you listening to this have ever had what you thought was a senior moment, right? You walk into the room and you can't remember why, or you know you're, you put your cell phone down somewhere, but you have no wow. idea where it is. It probably wasn't a senior moment. It's probably a red zone moment. The beauty is once you take the steps to rewire your brain so that you are more green zone-y, not a word, but I'm using it. Your hippocampus will grow back to where you want it to so that memory can come back. Before we get into some of the steps to take, I have two questions on that. One, it, well, this is not really a question, but in health coaching, we're taught to use positive psychology. We're always taught to keep things in the green zone, talk about the positives. But what are your thoughts on when you're constantly using positive psychology and talking about the positives and the positive outcomes that somebody wants, the positive steps to take to get there, but they don't have an opportunity to talk, to talk about the negative impact this problem has created for them and gotten to them to the, gotten them to this point. Is that also an important process? Absolutely. Yeah. Because if we're, if we're focusing, you know, if we're not acknowledging the, the pain that this has caused us and frankly, other people, Mm -hmm. then we're missing out on a whole lot of stuff. And if you think about it, I mean, there's a lot, there can be a lot of guilt and shame when it comes to things like being overweight or, or having an unhealthy body. And so if you aren't, if you aren't processing those feelings and we're just focusing on other things, you know, we're kind of looking over there. It's kind of like if you, if you've been in the uh, water before and you put, put a, push a ball down or you push mm -hmm. a ball down, eventually it has so much pressure. What happens? <sighs> Right, you can't, you can't push it down anymore and it pops up. That's what happens when we try to avoid or pretend like we don't have problems. So it's really important, one, to really process those emotions. How does it feel to you? What kinds, if you could stick a microphone in your brain, what are you saying to yourself about your current weight? What are you saying to yourself when you're, you know, part of you knows I'm gonna stay away from these foods and yet you find yourself reaching for them and shoving them in your mouth. What are you saying to yourself? I'm a big proponent of positive psychology with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is understanding what we're saying to ourselves, because what we say to ourselves impacts how we feel, 
what we say to ourselves impacts our physiology, right? If I think, oh my gosh, I'm getting up on stage in front of 5,000 people and I'm going to totally mess up. Like my body is going to react to that as opposed to I'm getting up on stage in front of 5,000 people and I get to touch 5,000 people's hearts, right? That's a different physiological reaction I'm going to have. Um, So really uh, addressing what's going on up here is important. So I like your um, analogy of getting on the stage and changing your mindset because in a lot of 12-step programs, they have something that's called fake it till you make it. So when you're changing your mindset, you're not necessarily believing that, but you're saying it to yourself. Can you speak to that? Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because sometimes it, it's helpful and sometimes it's not. Uh-huh. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know, people often talk about repeating affirmations, right? So I believe in myself. And for some people that works, but for some people, they're like, I really don't believe in myself, right? So you want to make sure that what you're saying to yourself, you can buy into, and you aren't having an internal struggle of that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Because if that internal struggle is going on, then um, it's really tough to believe these new thoughts. Uh-huh. Do you know who Sasha Fierce is? No. Was. Do you know who Beyonce is? Yes. Okay. So Beyonce incredible singer, right? Have you ever seen her dance? Just Uh unbelievable. She grew up singing in the church. And when she became a pop star, she was uncomfortable getting on stage and shaking her thing. So she created what we call in psychology an alter ego. The alter ego's name was Sasha Fierce. It was not Beyonce who got on stage. Sasha Fierce who got on stage. And, Uh you know, and then eventually she had an album and I I can't remember what it was, but it was like, goodbye, Sasha. She didn't need Sasha because Beyonce became comfortable with that. So Mm -hmm. when I'm working with clients and I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of sports psychology and a lot of peak performance with executives and, and entrepreneurs. When I'm working with clients, a lot of times we will create an alter ego. So it's, you know, I, I say it's, it's like, it's like being in a play or a movie. When you're in a play or a movie, you, you pretend to be a character. You think like them, you hold your body like them, you, you interact like them, but you know, it's, it, it's just a role. The reason why something like that can be more helpful for people is because then there are, you know, their subconscious isn't like, no, that's not true. I'm not confident. But if you're, if you're pretending to be someone, you can't dispute that. I'm just pretending to be this one person. And the more you do that, the more you rewire your brain so that those thoughts become more automatic, so that those behaviors become automatic. Because if you think about every thought we have are just nerves firing our brain in a certain pattern. Every behavior we have are nerves firing in a certain you know, pattern in our brain. So we want to literally rewire brains, our brains, so that we start to think differently and we act differently, not because we have to really focus on it, but become, because it becomes automatic. And just and a quick example of that is if, if you've ever, um, for those of you who learned how to drive, right? First time you got the, behind the wheel of a car, you were probably like me in terms of where did my hands go, right? Uh-huh. How much do I turn the steering wheel? Or my oldest who um, now has her license, but when she was learning how to drive, got behind the car, turned it on and looked at me and said, which one's the brake mom? <laughs> Good thing to know. <laughs> it's reassuring. But now when you get behind the wheel of a car to drive, you aren't thinking about how much pressure do I put on the accelerator, right? We're thinking about what song is on the radio, who we're talking to, where we're going to stop. Because our brain has been hardwired to make driving more automatic. And that's really the goal when you want to have less stress, when you want to adopt healthy 
uh, lifestyles. You rewire your brain so they become automatic. That's how when my husband was in the hospital, you know, I still followed through with those because it was it was kind of like, for me, it's like brushing your teeth, right? Exercise for me is like brushing your teeth. When was the last time you said to yourself, oh, I have not brushed my teeth for three months. <laughs> you know what? I just, I've been so busy. Like, no wonder I have no friends. <laughs> yeah, no one ever says that, right? You might miss a night because right. you're tired, but no one forgets for three months. And so when we rewire our brain for these ways of thinking and behaving, they become automatic. I love that because there are times where I'll have a consult call with a potential client and they'll say to me, well, how many hours per week is this going to require from me? And I say, that's up to you. We're, we're going to dismantle the equipment that got you here and we're going to rebuild new equipment to get you to your health goal. And that takes time. So whatever time you want to put in to make these lifestyle changes become your, your new baseline norm is what it takes. So you're just talking about, you know, the, you're, you're talking about shifting your mindset to create a new baseline normal for yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, painting the picture of what would, what will it be like when, when you have right. a body that looks the way you want it to, that functions the way you want, when you can go out and eat things and, and, you know, your body, your stomach doesn't react to, to whatever food it is. Right. What, what will that be like? And paint that picture because if it's strong enough, you know, people will, people will do 24 seven to, to address it. Yeah. So you also talk a lot about the inner critic, which you were just talking about. And I watched a Ted talk of you talking about this and your, um, your Sasha is Mitzi. Is it still Mitzi? Well, it's the opposite of Sasha. Yes. Yes. Cause Sasha was the positive for her, but yes, my inner critic, I have named Mitzi <laughs> and the beauty of naming your inner critic. Um, sometimes people call them their mother-in-laws, whatever. I'm not, you know, judging. Um, but the beauty of, of naming your inner critic is when you start, first of all, everyone has an inner critic. It's just part of how we are. But when the inner critic starts to speak, instead of getting sucked into it again, Often we don't stop and assess how accurate and helpful our thinking is. It's, it's in our mind, so it must be true. But when we name it, we can be like, oh, that's Mitzi talking. You look fat today. Oh, that's Mitzi talking. There's no way you're going to get this done. Oh, thanks, Mitzi. Right? And so you can kind of depersonalize. And instead of getting stuck in it and thinking the negative thoughts and experiencing the emotions, which causes more negative thinking, which causes more negative emotions, and it becomes that downward spiral. When you can call out the Mitzi, it's, it kind of stops that spiral from occurring. I love that. Mine is Zelda, by the way. Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> nice Jewish girl. <laughs> um, perfectionism. I am a perfectionist and all my life, my mom reminds me that I had complaints about my facial expressions starting in kindergarten. I was very black or white. There was zero gray zone. And over time, it has caused me a lot of stress in my life because I didn't know how to live in that gray zone. And so I'm just starting at, you know, midlife to figure that all out. But talk about perfectionism and how that can really cause us a lot of stress. Yes. So perfectionism, the way that I define it is an all or nothing thinking. Something's perfect or it's a failure. 
right? It's, it's perfect or everything else, you know, it's one way or everything else is wrong. Mm -hmm. I can either do it perfectly or why bother, right? That all or nothing mentality. Yes. And the thing about perfectionism is a lot of times, and it's not just people, a lot of people often think it's those people who like to have a neat junk drawer with every pen like perfectly aligned and paperclip stacked according to size and color. That's not really perfectionism the way that I view it. Again, it's that, it's that all or nothing mentality. Great example of perfectionism in our society is New Year's resolutions. Uh -huh. January 1st, people give up all sugar, all, you know, uh -huh. fried food, all booze. They're going to exercise every day. If January 2nd happens, uh, I had a cookie ruin my diet. I couldn't get to the gym. I can't exercise. That all or nothing thinking. And the thing about a perfectionist is not only is it all or nothing thinking in a particular area, but then we tend to generalize it, right? I made one mistake, so it's a failure. But then a perfectionist takes it one step further. If it's a failure, then I'm a failure. And that's why if you tell a perfectionist doesn't have to be perfect, they'll say, I know. Yeah. And deep down, they'll be like, yeah, it does. And that's why, because they equate their worth with that one thing that's, that's perfect or, or a failure. Um, so I am, a, my name is Elizabeth and I'm a recovering perfectionist. Um, I thought my perfectionism was what propelled me to be success, right? I, stressed out a lot. I, I got good grades in school, you know, all that. But what I realized, and of course it took me, <laughs> took me becoming a parent and realizing that my perfectionism was, was, was rubbing off on my children where I was like, Whoa, like it was fine that it was causing tension with my husband. He can deal with it. But when I saw it on my kids, I'm like, I got to stop. And so I came up with this concept called better than perfect, better than perfect. And better than perfect is taking the good of perfectionism because there is some good imperfectionism, right? Striving for excellence, mm -hmm. wanting to make a positive impact. All of that is, is the good stuff. It's the other stuff, that inner critic, that beating yourself up, the saying you're never good enough, you totally messed up, one mistake and you're a failure. That's the stuff we get rid of when we're better than perfect. And so we really focus on striving for excellence and, and this may hurt, being human. So, you know, we're going to make mistakes and, and, you know, I have a saying, it's not failure, it's data, it's information we can learn and grow from it. But when we can get rid of that constant barrage of your inside of our heads, you're not good enough. You have to be perfect. You made a mistake. It's horrible. You're never going to amount to anything when we can get rid of that, but when we can keep that excitement about wanting to perform at a, at a high level, right. Wanting to create excellence. That's what I call better than perfect. And I will say in my personal life for sure. And my professional life, since I have gotten rid of the perfectionism and really focused on being better than perfect, uh, my speaking is so much better. My writing is better. My interactions with clients are better because I don't have that, that constant Mitzi telling me what, what a failure I am. And right. so it's, it can be really powerful. Yeah. And I love what you just said about using these so-called failures as data. I'm all about collecting data. And so if I have a client and they were supposed to be off gluten for a 30 day trial and they come back the next week and they had some gluten and I can't believe I did that, blah, blah, blah. I just blew everything. I'm like, it's just an experience. Write down what happened, how it occurred, check it off and move forward. You had, it was an experiment, right? You experimented, didn't work. Now, you know, but you don't know. And, and what, what was it about it? Was it because you went to, I don't know, your favorite restaurant and they had the favorite food? Was it because you were stressed out and that whatever gluten filled right. 
food item is what you needed? Is it because, um, I, you know, you, you, you went to a party and you didn't want to insult anyone? What was it? And right. figuring that out, then you're so much more empowered the next time you're in that situation. Right. In the world of functional medicine, we call that what's the root cause of that issue? Yeah. Right. Get, get to the root cause, not what the outcome was. So, all right. So we've talked about stress and perfectionism, our inner critic. Now let's talk about what to do. And um, I know you've got some steps that we can take that are attainable, things that we can start today. We don't have to go anywhere and buy these things. Right. Right. That's what I would say. I mean, you know, doing 90 minutes of yoga every day would be great, but who has time for that? So I really look uh, when I'm working with my clients to really figure out what can you do, right? What are things that you can do? And there's there's kind of two strategies. And one is getting out of the red zone, right? So when we realize we're in the red zone, taking steps to get out of it. And then once we're out of it and we can think more clearly, then there's a whole other bag of tricks, if you will, in terms of, of what to do to help you stay out. Because when we're in the red zone, right, that seven, that eight, that nine or the 10, and someone tells you to just calm down, how helpful is that? Not at all, right? And in fact, we probably have some not so pleasant thoughts about that person telling us not to calm down. And again, I'll get geeky on you, biologically talking, what's going on? Our brain, our subconscious, basically, it's, it's like our subconscious thinks we're drowning. Right? We're in the state of, 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 of fight or flight. So if you were drowning, you're flailing your arms around and screaming for help and someone told you to just calm down, would you do that? Of course not, right? Yeah. So telling someone to just calm down when they're in the red zone is going to put them more in the red zone. So when we're in that red zone, not thinking rationally, that limbic system is hijacking our frontal lobe, our, our rational thinking. We want to, the first step is just to get out, to get into at least a six, the, I call it the yellow zone, the six, the five, the four, lower is even better. And I have a principle called the HELM principle, H-E-L-M. I'm a little weird about acronyms. I like to create acronyms. So I'm, I'm just working on a presentation right now. I have four acronyms that I'm giving, maybe too many, but anyway, that's, that's just a me thing. So the HELM principle stands for, H is HALT. Halt all movement in this region of your, of your body, right? Your mouth. Don't let anything out of your mouth because that's when we say things related to regret. And don't right. put anything in your mouth because that's when we tend to consume things related to regret. Right. Full disclosure, I, I'm in my home office right now. I, I can remember during quarantine, putting not one, but two hands over my mouth when I was speaking to my daughter because I was in the red zone and I knew I was there and I just, I, I didn't want to say anything that right. I didn't really mean that it was just the stress talking. I didn't want to do that. So H is halt. And I'm sure we can all relate to that. E is exercise. Now, when I say exercise, I don't mean you have to go to the gym. I mean, move your body in any way. Yeah. Jump on the bed, do a couple of minutes, minutes of push-ups, sit-ups, squats, go for a walk, you know, run up a flight of stairs. What that does is, is it releases biochemicals in our body, right? Which hinder the stress response and allow us to get out of that red zone. And in fact, the other day I had a, I was working with a, a client who was just crying. She was so overwhelmed, complete red zone. So I said, what's your favorite song? She's a teenager, by the way. I said, what's your favorite song? So she, she told me her favorite song. I said, I could play it right now because, you know, teens always have their 
their phones right. music right there. So she hits play. We're on a Zoom call and I'm in here dancing around. She's where she is dancing around. And that brings us to M, which is music. But just that movement uh-huh. helped her get out of the red zone. And she was laughing by the end of it because, well, I'm sure it wasn't because of my dancing, but something was funny to her. So exercise, moving your body. L is laughter, right? Laughter yeah. is such great medicine. Um, when my teenager is being a little teenager, sometimes I'll excuse myself because in our household, we talk about the red zone and I'll say, feel like I'm getting in the red zone. Let me take a break. I'll come into my office. I'll watch a YouTube video, SNL skit. I'll laugh, <laughs> feel happier. My distress is lower. Then I can go be the mom I want to be. So L is laughter and then M is music. Music, even, even if you don't dance, music can be so powerful on our emotions, right? I'm sure you've heard a song that you hadn't heard in, in years, even decades, and it brings you right back to that time. So I recommend my clients keep a get out of the red zone playlist. And what about meditation? You know, we all hear how meditation is so good for us, except I'm not a meditator. You know, I use other forms of movement or activities as my form of like moving meditation, but I have a hard time just sitting still and, and getting out of my head and just, I'd rather cook and get out of my head. Right. But what are, if if someone's out there listening to this and they have never meditated before, and it seems so overwhelming and, and intimidating, what are, what's an easy way to ease yourself into it? Yeah. So a couple of things. Uh, it's funny though. I was on a, I was on a show, um, yeah, like the, the first time we were able to go back into studio and I, I, I didn't give meditation as an example of how to have less stress. And they're like, thank you so much for not saying that because everyone says meditate. So here's a couple of things about meditation. Um, and, and I'm speaking from my own experience too, because when I was in, when I was in grad school, I would write articles about the benefits of meditation. And then I'd sit down and, you know, try to focus on my breathing. And I'd be like, I don't think I'm doing this right. Am I doing this right? I'm not doing this right. I get 20 minutes. I'm going to meditate. Mm-mm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get 20 minutes with the stuff done. So, um, so I can certainly empathize with that. There are a couple of things that really helped me become, you know, make meditation part of my normal practice. One, um, people often think that when their mind wanders, that they failed meditation. Your mind wanders because you're alive, right? And we really like that about you. So your mind will water, water, wander. Monks who meditate for 12 hours a day, their minds wander, right? So it's it's okay. It doesn't mean you're not doing right. But the other thing that really helped me was um, I heard of a research study where they put EEG leads on people's heads when they were meditating, right? So looking at the brain waves. And then everyone meditated. And then after they asked each individual, what was your meditation like? What was your experience like? And even the people who said, nah, couldn't get into it today. My mind was racing. I'm stressing out about X, Y, and Z. Even those people had brain wave changes. So we may not even realize it. And I always say the only way to fail meditation is to fail to do meditation. So I think keeping that in mind can be very helpful. And then figure out for you, I say start like five minutes. There are, you know, if you want to start and just focus on your breath, focus on looking at a candle, um, focus on on listening to maybe some meditation music, guided meditations can be really helpful for people, especially when minds are wandering, because you can just simply go back to to what they're saying, but start, you know, a three to five minute meditation, do it a couple times a week and, and, and like set that as your goal usually I recommend my clients do this. Most of my clients do this. And it's 
it's truly incredible how many people who say, I can't do it, I've tried it before, it doesn't work. When they start five minutes, you know, even twice a week, they start to notice, yeah. And then they start doing it three times a week and then yeah. four times a week, and then they increase their time. And um, so it becomes something that's really helpful to them. Oh, well, that's good. I should give it a try. I mean, I'm a health coach and I preach about it, but I, I don't implement it in the traditional sense. Um, all right. I ask, uh, I have one more question and I ask this to most of my um, guests. I always throw out a, a lifestyle um, type of nutrition question. What are your three top foods to eat to support mood, brain health, and sleep? Well, let's see. I would say the first one is, is water. So not a solid, um, but I drink water all day long. Mm -hmm. um, we know that when we're dehydrated, you know, that can cause us to eat more and it can put us right in the red zone too. Um, second, oh, I would say avocados. I just mm -hmm. can't get enough of them. In, in fact, we used to live in Dallas and, um, my daughter, my youngest daughter, her first solid food for like, probably the first like month was avocados. Cause that's what we have in our house. Uh, third, I would say eggs. I, I love good cage-free eggs. Brunch is my favorite meal. That's a, if I can only have one meal, I would have brunch every single day. Um, and so eggs for my protein. That's a good one. Choline is very important for brain function. So all great examples of what to incorporate. So are you still taking um, new clients on and where can my community find you? Yeah, thank you for asking. They can go to elizabethlombardo.com. Um, it has my website, it has a bunch of information if you want some more information on the red zone, but there's also a contact. So if you're interested in um, doing some work together. And I always say, you know, when I work with clients, my goal is for each person to become their own coach, right? So you don't need me, but we, we, we literally rewire people's brains so that their thinking, their behaviors are, are automatically something different. And it does not require any shock therapy, but we can change what's going on up here. So it's not this, uh, it feels uncomfortable doing it. It becomes more automatic, whether it's how we think, how we view things, how we interact with other people, um, you know, how, how we perform, all of that, we, it starts up here. And so really helping people to rewire their brain. I created something called neuroregenerative training, which takes the research from NLP and cognitive behavioral therapy and positive psychology. And mm. I've been working with clients for, I used to say two decades, but we're getting close to three now. So, you know, so it's just kind of the experiences that I've had in, in taking that research. So literally rewiring people's brains. Well, Dr. E, it has been an absolute pleasure to deep dive on stress with you today. I know my community is absolutely gonna just soak all this information up and, and really try to turn things around one step at a time and implement these lifestyle changes. Um, I'm going to list where you can find Dr. E in the show notes, including a link to all of her books that she has written that are on Amazon and all of her social media, which I follow you and your YouTube, I think is amazing. I love the little snippets during the day. If I'm feeling a little low, I go on look. And so instead of the laugh, I go on and get a little bit of brain help from you. Nice. <laughs> but it's, all, it's, it's great. I'm going to list all that for my um, community. And thank you again so much. It was lovely seeing you again. I hope to see you again in the future. Well, thank you. And I just want to thank you for all that you're doing to help everyone out there that's really important this podcast so I appreciate it thank you so much for that all right everyone thanks for joining bye-bye thank you for joining me I hope you enjoyed the podcast lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make by building your support team of functional medicine doctors 
therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.